Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor BJ Colangelo. Hi, 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 yeah. All right, BJ, big news from yesterday that we have to talk about. Let's spend the first half of today's episode talking about the fallout from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the uh, guilty trial, I guess, of of, uh, Jonathan Majors. So yesterday, a jury in New York found actor Jonathan Majors guilty of reckless assault in the third degree and guilty of harassment. And very, very quickly after that, um, uh, what would you call that? The the verdict came down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney and Marvel announced that they were parting ways with him and he is no longer part of their plans for the MCU. So, uh, you know, this has kind of been like the thing that's been hanging over Marvel for a while now. I think this, this happened back in like March originally. And this uh, trial was like a couple week trial. And there's just been a lot of back and forth and a lot of question marks about what Marvel Studios is going to be doing here. Um, I guess like before we get into the, uh, you know, what this means for Marvel and all that kind of stuff, I just want to say like, there are human lives, you know, involved in this thing. It's very easy for people on podcasts like us to just be like, to just immediately jump to, Hey, who's going to be cast as Kang? Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, I, I admittedly, we are going to have that conversation because I feel like it's important for, for Marvel and the larger state of Hollywood, but also, you know, that doesn't mean we, we don't have to, it doesn't mean we have to like forget that there are real human beings involved in this thing. And uh, especially the woman who was involved, like sort of at the center of this thing and was actually like injured in the, in this. And, you know, I, I just want, uh, I don't know, I want to introduce a little bit of humanity into these conversations. So like, even if it's just acknowledging that up top, um, I feel like that's more than a lot of places do. And I just feel like that's an important step that we should yeah, take. So I agree as well. And it's also important to note that this, case was brought up by the state of New York, um, not by his former partner, Grace Jabari, because there has been, unfortunately, a lot of, you know, victim blaming that's been going around the internet. Um, But she did not bring these charges forward. The state did. Um, So that's something to keep in mind. And then also, um, obviously, we're not going to have them here on this podcast. But if you are somebody who does want to do more research, learn more about it, um, I highly recommend looking into the text messages and the phone calls that were publicly released. Um, that might give a better picture for you, but, uh, that, that is my, my, my homework for anybody at yeah. home. Yeah. And we have like some of the details in the write-up at Slash Film, but like, the, you know, there are a lot of details that especially that have come out over the course of the trial. And so, mm-hmm. yes, I encourage people, you know, if you, if you want to learn more about this to like really dive in and, and read, cause there's a bunch of stuff there, um, way more than we have to, than we have time to get into today. So, uh, okay, so I, I guess, like, what do you think the the Kang dynasty will look like without Jonathan Majors involved, BJ? Like, what tactic do you think Marvel will take here now that this decision has been made? So what's interesting is that yesterday after this news broke, and 
I'm not a lawyer. I, I'm not giving legal advice on a podcast, but I have a feeling that the reason they had to wait until this verdict to make the official like he's out announcement is probably due to something in like a contract that they had where like even you know with the allegations like had he been found innocent they would have had to keep him um so i think they were sitting on this for a while so i have no idea how long they've been planning or plotting or what they have but when the news broke initially a lot of the trades were reporting that it was still going to be the kang dynasty they're still going to be moving forward which made it seem like okay maybe there's going to be a recasting situation which given multiverse you know shenanigans that's not the that's not out of the world of possibility and mm-hmm. i think audiences will buy into that but then like about an hour maybe two after the news broke then suddenly it was being reported that it's just going to be you know as of now avengers 5 and not king dynasty which is making many people believe that they're going to just scrap that character altogether and bring in a new villain so mm-hmm. there's really two routes to look at as far as like what they're going to do Personally, I think they should just scrap the character and do something different. Um, Right now, Marvel and the MCU is already in kind of a weird flux after the lack of success of both Quantumania, which Kang is in, um, and then the Marvels. They could... They could hard pivot like it's this is a horrible situation. And, you know, the women that were harmed, I they have my deepest, deepest empathies. But from a business standpoint, this could be a situation where now Marvel can go, okay, well, everything that we thought we were doing, um, let's not do that. Let's do something completely different. And that this could be a good thing for them. Yeah, it ultimately sort of ironically ends up happening at like a decent time creatively for what's happening with Marvel. Because as you mentioned, I mean, we've been talking about the problems that they've been having for the last year now. And so they, they kind of, you know, if they're looking to do that pivot that you're talking about now seems like a good time to actually, you know, to actually uh, start to move the ship a little bit. Um, And it seems like maybe they, like you said, I'm not exactly sure how long they knew or had been, you know, planning for eventual outcomes and stuff like that. But it seems like um, I think Michael Waldron was hired to rewrite uh, both of the, um, the Avengers movies. And that was like a month ago ish or so. So like maybe they'd been planning it since then, you know, having like multiple drafts just in case of different outcomes and things like that. So um, yeah, I I wonder if we'll ever find out like the the true uh, behind the scenes of exactly of how this all went down. But um, yeah, there, there were rumors. uh, Brad and I talked about this like the beginning of November, right when I think variety released this big, you know, there's a bunch of problems behind the scenes at Marvel Studios kind of art article. And we talked about that on the podcast. And Brad and I were talking about uh, there being rumors of Dr. Doom being the character that could replace Kang as like the big villain in the upcoming phases of the MCU. And uh, I remember asking Brad, like, what do you think about them using uh, Dr. Doom as like uh, as the villain of that project before a Fantastic Four movie even comes out? But I don't know if the dates have changed since Brad and I had that conversation or if I just got the dates wrong back then. But the Fantastic Four movie is currently slated for May of 2025 and Kang Dynasty slash Avengers 5 is May of 2026. So if everything sort of stays according to plan, audiences will already have been introduced to Doctor Doom from that Fantastic Four movie. So like, you know, they don't have to worry about any weirdness there is what I'm getting at if they wanted to use him as like the the true big bad moving forward so um 
I did want to ask about recasting options, though, BJ, if they decide to keep Kang for whatever reason. Uh, do you have anyone in mind that might be maybe a good fit for carrying that character forward at all? So the one that I know everyone on the internet wants is John Boyega, but I feel like after what happened with Star Wars, John Boyega is never coming back to a Disney-owned brand, and we <laughs> him alone and let him do what he wants um <laughs> so there's that but the one that a bunch of people brought up and i i'm kind of into it are you familiar with the work of aaron jennings aaron jennings who is he okay so aaron jennings is an actor um he, the big thing that people might know him from is he's on that show grand crew he was also on a league of their own rest in peace with that beautiful wonderful show um but he kind of looks like if Jonathan Majors was Wario, Aaron Jennings is Mario, if this makes sense. Like, <laughs> okay, yep. Uh -huh. Looks very similar, but Aaron Jennings, um, for, for, for all I know, you know, I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm not all knowing, um, he seems like a very nice guy and like doesn't have any like problematic history or like whisper campaigns going around him. And he's really talented. Um, so I'm like, you know what? Let, let's let him go. Let's let him do this. I think. He'd okay. Be <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's a very off the beaten path uh, suggestion. I don't think I'm familiar with his work really at all. I'm, I'm going to have to look into this, but yeah, he's super um, talented and he's kind of one of those, like he's one of those actors that I feel like is on the verge of like really doing something special. Honestly, similarly to how Jonathan majors was positioned when he started getting all these roles. So it's like, well, you know what? Uh, why don't we take a similar approach? Find another actor who is not yet a household name but absolutely deserves to be and let him shine yeah that's awesome uh i just wrote down three names here um john carlo esposito i feel like i mean Ugh, just you know him. the the villain aspect from i mean I, I think it's it's arguable that his most famous role now is gus fring from the breaking bad universe and mm -hmm. so you know him stepping into a villain that's kind of like the easy option um but he has such a great voice and such a great um you know he, he just has this like delicious way of acting where like he can really lean into the villainy oh and and even like the mandalorian too i which i have not kept up with but i forgot that he plays a villain in that yeah, so he's him. he's also got a great run on a movie called unpregnant where he plays like a conspiracy theorist guy who's living off like the, like <laughs> off the margins and is yes. just like crazy he's great yeah that movie is awesome people should see uh unpregnant if you haven't seen it um that's great I stuff I remember. Max. Yeah. yes uh and then i wrote down aldous hodge who was in black adam which i did not see but uh mm -hmm. he was really solid as jim brown in one night in miami if you remember that um he's been working in tv a lot but he's like you know got that super hero super villain frame certainly like the physicality he's got that down uh yeah, and then like on great. the opposite end of the spectrum uh, I was thinking about Lakeith Stanfield just as like that sort of um, I don't I don't remember if we talked about this BJ but like if you watched the very end of Loki season one uh, where he who remains Jonathan Major's version of of Kang um, a variant of Kang like sort of pops in and is like totally not what you would expect for from like a, a major uh, Marvel villain I feel like Lakeith Stanfield kind of has that energy that like unexpected I could do anything um you know, he doesn't have like the bulk of somebody like Aldous Hodge, but he has that intellectual component that I feel like would work really well. Um, but I don't know. Lakeith Stanfield is also like maybe too interesting an actor to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to do something like this. So uh, 
Yeah, another one I think would be really cool too is um, J. Alphonse Nicholson, who most people, for me, he's he's on P Valley, the best show that no one is watching. Um, but he also was in They Clone Tyrone, which was one of like the best movies Netflix released last year, th- this year that oh yeah people didn't watch. He's also got I think a similar thing to like Lakeith, where it's like this guy would be really interesting, even though he doesn't necessarily like he's he doesn't have the the look that comes to mind when you think like superhero, but like I think he could pull it off. Yeah. Did you watch Loki season two at all? I did. Okay. I just, I, I did not, I, I watched the first season of Loki. We talked about it on the podcast. Uh, I was kind of out on all Marvel TV by the time Loki season two came around. So I did not watch that. But this morning I watched the Loki season two finale just to sort of get a sense of where the uh, Kang variant, he who mm-hmm. remains uh, all that, how all that stuff kind of wrapped up. And um I read a theory from uh, Alan Seppenwall, who's the one of the TV critics over at Rolling Stone, and he was suggesting that Loki himself could become the big bad for this next phase if they're interested, if Marvel's interested in bringing Tom Hiddleston back into the fold, that might be a way to sort of, um, you know, you'd have to like combat the uh, the idea that he was kind of, that he made like a, a, uh, a heroic decision at the end of Loki season two. Um, but like maybe because of the idea of variants existing, maybe it's a Loki variant or something that like becomes the the villain mm-hmm. and it, it lets Tom Hiddleston have his cake and eat it too in terms of like staying in the Marvel realm and like continuing to have, um, you know, uh, job security and, and working in multiple movies and stuff and also like relishing playing this character or maybe even a different version of this character that he's clearly loved playing for so long um, while also maybe not necessarily undoing the sacrifice or or heroic decision that that character made at the end of season two. So what would you think about them saying, screw it, we're going back to Loki and he's going to be the the villain moving forward? See, I personally love it um, because I just love Tom Hiddleston and I love his performance as Loki and I would love more variants of Loki, especially if like one is doing this, you know, sort of heroic thing and one is viewed as, you know, the big bad. Like, I think that would be really interesting. I fear that some fans, maybe the people who didn't watch Loki season two, which they should because it's great. um, I feel like they might reject it just on its face of like, oh, you're going back to the well. Like that's how they would view it as. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though with what Marvel has been doing, like Loki season two was the most interesting of the Marvel Disney plus series that I've seen recently. Um, so I don't think people fully know that it's still doing really unique work and really telling like interesting stories. I'm trying not to spoil it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but I think like you would have the people that would be against it just because it feels like, Oh, you're just doing the, you know, a thing you've already done before, even though I think it could be really, really interesting. Um, I mean, I'm just, I like Tom Hiddleston. I'll always have more Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> yeah. I'm torn between, wanting that sense of continuity like all the way through from phase one all the way into you know whatever ends up being phase six or whatever the you know the end of these uh avengers movies may be or what happens even beyond that because like so many of the major marvel studios names have like fallen off as their characters have died or moved away or whatever the case may you know gotten ancient like captain america you know whatever the case may be um so like i i kind of like the idea as uh, of loki as like this you know, all encompassing villain who has had his own ups and downs within the the larger franchise or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm curious, like 
if Tom Hiddleston would want to do that or if he's ready to finally like branch out and be in a bunch more things. And I'm excited about that too, if he chooses that option too, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always excited when like really talented actors want to, are, are passionate about the stories that they're telling. So uh, right. I'll go see him in anything, <laughs> but um, okay. I think that's going to do it for this part. Let's let's take a break and then we'll get back into a few more bits of uh, TV and movie news right after this. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early. So everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, PJ, I'm not sure if you saw this news, but Curb Your Enthusiasm Season 12, which is the upcoming season of the show, is said to be the final season. And uh, this is going to be a 10-episode run. The final season is going to premiere on Sunday, February 4th, 2024 on HBO. Uh, What is your relationship like to Curb? Are you uh, a a longtime fan of this show? So I'm a Curb fan. And what's interesting is I was not like super... A Seinfeld person because I think like that show just came out when I was like really young and it felt like this is a show my parents watch Mm -hmm. um but Curb was definitely my thing so then I've like gone back and retroactively enjoyed Seinfeld um I love the character of Larry David so much I find him endlessly relatable I can't wait to grow up and become uh my own version of myself (laughs) as a Larry David like just misanthrope Uh, I'm very very excited about that phase in my in my life cycle when it happens um I am excited to see it end if only because he's been doing this forever. Like just let him, let him retire. Let him take a nap. Um. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just, he seems like one of those guys that like, even when this is over, he's not going to, he's not going to take a nap though. He has like that workaholic kind of thing. And like, he's just going to want to get back out there. He's like too creative. He's got that itch that he's, he's going to have to scratch in some capacity. And I've loved I've loved seeing Curb be the way that he scratches that itch over the years. Like, I think the show, I want to say he did like that a one man show that started this whole thing in like 1999 or something. And the first episode was in like right around the year 2000. So it's been like over 20 years, uh, even though he took some multi-year breaks in there. Uh, but I mean, this has just been like one of the most consistently funny shows, uh, live action American comedies, if we want to limit it to that. Um of the past two decades, which is just like really something special. And uh, I I had never even caught up with it until the pandemic. That was like my excuse to finally dive in. Uh, And I'm so glad that I did because it's like one of my favorite shows. It's so, so funny to watch. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of like a little bit sad that it is going to be coming to end. But uh, I'm also again, like in that along the same veins of the conversation we were just having, like uh, excited to see if Larry David decides to like make a new show and go in a different direction or like, you know, even if he's not in front of the camera, maybe create a new show or something like that. Um, and and I would love to see what that looks like. But uh, but man, like what a great show. And I hope season 12 goes out on a high note because um, mm. I, I'm one of those people that thinks that there are no bad seasons of Curb. I know some people have uh, different um, opinions about that. But I, I having watched all of them very recently, you know, at the start of the pandemic and, and catching up after that. Um, it seems to me like the level of quality stayed very consistent all the way through. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed on that. Uh, 
have any any other curb thoughts before we move on? I mean, it it this this is a show that is just like so culturally like permeated that I don't think it's ever gonna either fully go away either. I think people are gonna be trying to chase curb forever and like that's a positive thing for me like the impact of curb is going to be felt for the next 50 years um so even though the show is gone there will always be little like little little sprinkles of larry david goodness on other projects (laughs) yes uh okay so i think yesterday news came out that netflix is developing tv spinoffs of wednesday extraction and peaky blinders so uh i believe bloomberg first reported this that um, Netflix is developing a spinoff of Wednesday. And, you know, that kind of makes sense, right? Wednesday, like massively successful show. But the idea of the spinoff is that it's going to focus on Fred Armisen's Uncle Fester character, which just kind of screams like you're not learning the right lessons to me. Like, I did you watch Wednesday, BJ? It seems like something you would have tapped into oh, a little yeah. bit. Oh, yeah. Like hearing this news, like it's really hard not to immediately just be like bold strategy cotton. Let's see if it pays off. <laughs> Uh, because it really does feel like what like what lessons are you not learning where like we're actively watching these sort of like multiverse spin-off blah 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 worlds all crumble like right now they are all crumbling before our eyes and Netflix is like hey but what if what if we did that what if we did that you're like <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> Yeah, and and like one of the quotes is that Netflix is uh, quote eager to establish a pipeline of Adams Family programs to build off the success of Wednesday, and it, to me it just is like Jenna Ortega is the reason to watch yes, Wednesday. It's yes. not people loving the Adams Family or the Adams Family universe or whatever. And like I love Fred Armisen; he makes me laugh almost every time I see him. Like he does; he's one of those actors that like. He doesn't even have to say anything. He just makes goofy faces. And like, I just lose my shit when I see him. So, you know, maybe I would watch an Uncle Fester, Fred Armisen show. But the main audience for Wednesday, I just don't think they're going to the be. The main they're... audience for Wednesday are people who stand Jenna Ortega and would die for her. Like, that's, yeah. that's the main people watching this. And like, on like, okay, I am a huge Adams family fan of like the franchise, the comics, the TV shows, the movies, all of it. I love all of it. The only thing that interests me about an Uncle Fester series, if it's like Fred Armisen is great and he's going to be wonderful. Like if I don't get like Uncle Fester and Debbie Jelinski and like you bring in Joan Cusack, I don't care. Like <laughs> straight up, I do not. But it, you're totally right. It's like Wednesday's really popular. It's it's one of those things where it's like I can tell that a decision was made because somebody looked at like data but didn't actually assess what that data means which is why it is important that we add the arts to stem because if you're just <laughs> looking at numbers wow wednesday is super great and it's like well yeah these people of jenna ortega it's the same reason why people were like wow halloween movies are really popular the last week of october yeah no shit it's <laughs> halloween yeah. yeah it just seems like there's some some key context missing from that decision here um so i don't know maybe i'll be proven wrong and everybody will like freak out about a Fred Armisen Wednesday universe show and it'll mm-hmm. be the most popular thing in Netflix history and I'll eat my words. But just like from the outside looking in, it just kind of seems like, yeah, I mean, I, I get wh- why you're doing this, but I don't think you're making, I don't think you're doing it for the right reasons and I don't think you're going in quite the right direction with it. So. Yeah. And I feel um, the same way about like their Peaky Blinders spinoff and like, I love Peaky Blinders, but also I love Tommy Shelby. And it's like, I don't know if I'm going to be as on board unless I'm getting Killian Murphy in my eyes every week. Like, yeah, the, that so the, changes the, things. 
And the Peaky Blinders show, there's two of those that are in development. So one of them is going to be uh, set in Boston in the middle of the 20th century, which is decades after the original show. And then another one is supposed to be about um, Polly Shelby, the, the Shelby clan matriarch. And that would require a recast because the actress who played her died in 2021. And it would probably have to be a prequel. Um, so like, I don't really know much about the Peaky Blinders universe, BJ, but like, does a young Polly show sound appealing to you as somebody who's that, tapped into the that world? That one, I think, could be cool because it's at least separate enough. For, like, it's not going to feel like more of the same thing. Like, there would be a different angle. And I think I always I'm obsessed with like. It, she's not technically like a mob wife but like that sort of world like the the women who get involved in you know these sorts of worlds i think are really interesting mm-hmm. so that i think could be cool but you're totally right it probably has to be a prequel series um but i also just like why why can't we just like let brilliant things be brilliant and stay brilliant by themselves <laughs> yeah uh i guess the answer is almost always just capitalism uh yeah capitalism <laughs> which is here to ruin the party again yeah unfortunate uh so there's also um another remake of one piece like th- there's an anime that's ongoing there's a live action version uh that i believe de- debuted earlier this year on netflix mm-hmm. now netflix is making another anime version of one piece like a remake of it called the one piece so i mean you can read more about that at the article um rafael motomayor who writes for us and knows a lot about this dug into that uh, in in detail in the article I, I don't know much about the one piece world but he gets into some nitty-gritty there if you're interested in, in paying attention to that and then um the only other one that they mentioned here is uh, extraction and there's no details about what an extraction TV show might be about, or if Chris Hemsworth would be on board, or maybe it would be about like Idris Elba's character who pops up in extraction two and clearly seems to be like a bigger part of what they want to do with the franchise moving forward. So lots of question marks about what that could look like. I mean, I guess, you know, an, an action, uh, movie franchise having an action TV show on, on Netflix, there's kind of like, not really a big different uh, differentiating line, you know, between those two. Mm-hmm. So I guess that one makes the most sense to me of like, yeah, it would be easy to just spend a little bit more time with these characters in this world and just have, you know, one to two to three big action set pieces in every episode and call it a day kind of thing. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to, to me, see. It also just sounds really expensive and it sounds like, uh, other shows might get canceled so that they can uh, fund this big blow up action show that will get mid reviews at best. So yeah, eh, that's probably we'll see. true. We'll see As evidenced by um, the Russo brothers, other show for uh, for Amazon. Um, so yeah, uh-huh, what was that? Citadel, uh-huh. I think it was Citadel, called. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so the last story here. Um, I, I want to give a big spoiler warning for the orphan horror movie franchise. Um, BJ is going to spoil what happens in the first orphan film and the second orphan film. So if you've not seen those movies and you don't want to know what happens, maybe just stop listening now or watch them and come back. Um, but orphan three is in the works, BJ and the orphan movies. Um, I have not seen them, but I know enough just through cultural osmosis that the twist of that first movie was so, uh, it took people aback to such a degree that people were spoiling that openly on the internet. It became like such a big talking point that I sort of figured out what people were talking about, um, even without having seen the movie. And then uh, Orphan, what is it called? Orphan First Kill, which came out uh, last year, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, was the sequel. But it was also 
or I guess the follow-up, but it was technically a prequel. So tell me about like <laughs> the um, the arc of these orphan movies and then what you think about a third film and maybe what you want, might want to see in a third movie. Okay, so this is a franchise, I guess now it's a franchise, that knows what it is, which I really like because the first movie is a very much like typical killer kid movie that happens to have the twist of spoiler alert that esther's not actually a child but in the first movie she's played by isabel Furman, who was a child at the time um so it was like a very shocking reveal um and people loved it well the second movie we already know the secret we know that esther is not a child so you can't try to take it seriously anymore because like th- like the suspension of disbelief is already out the window like we mm-hmm. we the jig is up we know what's going on here so instead of trying to treat it seriously the prequel film which also has Isabel Furman in it, who is now an actual adult, but is an adult playing a child instead of being a child playing adult playing a child. Um, (laughs) So everybody on that set wore like giant, like kiss platforms to be taller than her. They used a lot of forced perspective. She had a body double that actually was a child for some scenes. Um, But orphan first kill is like, we know how silly this is. We're leaning in really really hard uh one of my favorite moments um (laughs) of the year when first kill came out is uh esther driving away in a car with sunglasses on smoking a cigarette listening to maniac like it's (laughs) incredible like it has a lot of uh a lot of similar energy as like megan um but instead Mm -hmm. of a robot it's just an actual person um for orphan three i desperately hope they just bring Isabel Furman back um, again um, and just just bring her back and just let her keep playing this character mm-hmm. and like just don't address how how old she actually is because they also don't do like weird CGI trickery it's just makeup and it's just her face and they just like they're like you know this is an adult get over it and deal with it and I think that that's so funny and bold um, and because yes it was a prequel film so we know where it's going we you know she Esther gets away with it because it's a prequel mm-hmm. um but what they were smart about doing in the second one is that they gave her someone to like match wits with which was julia styles being an incredible villain so it wasn't just about esther it's also the people that have to deal with her so if they can do something like that again for the third film i am on board like if orphan becomes one of those horror franchises that ends up with like 45 sequels and they send her to space i'm on board (laughs) yeah that sounds awesome so william brent bell who directed the second movie um basically said as long as we get excited about the stories there are so many directions to go and we're developing a third one now he said uh, knowing where we are in the process already, I'm extremely excited about the twists and turns that we have in store. Um, he talks about uh, Isabel Furman, and he said that uh, he basically um, likened her to Hannibal Lecter and said that she, quote, could play the part as many times as she wants to, as long as it's still fun and rewarding. So it sounds like they want her to come back for a third movie. And like the idea of it being called Orphan 3 kind of implies at least that she would be coming back. Uh, And so, yeah, that seems like a really interesting challenge as an actor to step into a role like that. That is so unique in the the current cinematic landscape. Um, And then also, like you said, just being able to sort of like 
lean into it and everyone on the set, all the audience, like everybody's on the same page about what kind of movie it is. Uh, it just sounds like a, a total blast. So I'm going to have to watch these movies and, and get oh caught up God, for there's... whatever the third one is. And it's so wild because like it's a perfect trajectory because the first movie, I mean, like you have Vera Farmiga playing like, you know, a wonderful horror mom role because we all know how wonderful she is at playing that type of person. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh my God, this is so genuinely scary and heartfelt. And then the twist happens and you're like, what the hell? Um, <laughs> and then in the second movie, it's like, well, we already know that you left the last one in what the hell. So we're just amping it up a bit and we're just going to keep this crazy train gr- going. And <laughs> I, I love that. And William Brent Bell, he, uh, for people who might not have seen Orphan First Kill, uh, he's also behind the boy movies, which are equal like bonkers bananas nonsense movies that I have like a deep affinity for because I I love a big swing. Like if you're going to do something ridiculous, go so ridiculous into it and don't make any apologies for it and that's the kind of filmmaker he is and does it always work no sometimes it doesn't work at all but you he, he doesn't play it safe and i respect that amazing all right well i think that's going to do it for today's episode of the podcast you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode slash film daily is published every weekday bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and tv as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on apple overcast spotify wherever you get your podcasts please subscribe to our newsletter there is a link for that in the show notes as well send your feedback questions comments concerns and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.